You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. All right, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. We're, we're going to be in the first oh, two or three chapters there. But we're going to be talking about Moses here for the next three sessions that we are together. You know, when I think of of Moses, uh, my thoughts go back to the award-winning film, The Ten Commandments. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, I think that came out in like the mid-50s. And they still play it. I mean, pretty much every Easter, they still play The Ten Commandments uh, today. You know, Charlton Heston, that famous actor, you know, he was Mr. Hollywood at the time. And and, uh, in that role as Moses, he was handsome. He was this guy that just was solid in every decision. I mean, he was a man's man, and he he was God's man of the hour. You know, he was a a slice of toast and and then some, right? I mean, he was just the guy. Then another film um, that came out that really shaped my view of Moses was The Prince of Egypt. I don't know how many of y'all remember that. It was an animated show called The Prince of Egypt came out in 1998, and it was very entertaining, and it was an animated Moses, right? And, and, you know, he was this sleek, trim, quick-witted, bronzed guy that just, you know, whether he was riding the chariot around Egypt or, you know, telling Moses, I mean, telling Pharaoh what to do. I mean, he was just this, and he was ageless, right? He was just this young, ageless Moses. And so these ideas of Moses kind of formed my early concepts of what Uh, Moses was really like. Um, But the fact is, both of these movies and most all the movies that you see about Moses are missing something. Do y'all know what it is? Well, I'll tell you, reality. (laughs) Reality. Because those shows don't depict, you know, what real life is all about. And and as we look at Moses, and we see how Moses, Moses tried to manage his life and the giftings and the responsibilities that God gave him, I want to make sure that we understand that Moses was a person just like us, living in his generation, trying to fulfill the will of God to the best of his ability in his day. And who, in spite of sins and shortcomings, you know, because Moses, he got a lot of things right, but he got a lot of things wrong. And in spite of all of that, God used him. God used him to fulfill his plan and accomplish his purpose. So we're going to see God's grace who took an ordinary man and, and used him to do some really extraordinary things. You know, we, we often talk about, you know, God, reveal yourself to me. God, speak to me. God, give me a vision. And then, and then I look in the scripture and I see all these people that God did that to him and the responsibilities that he gave him. I'm like, God, I'm happy where I'm at. I'll just go to church, try to be good. You know, it's because this is the responsibility. But, but the fact is, you know, Moses wasn't some handsome superstar, some fantasy animated character who looked like he was 38 when he was actually 80. He wasn't. He was a real person just trying to manage what God had given him to do, a man trying to fulfill his call. So I'm going to give a little historical backdrop because Tim just finished Joseph, I'm doing Moses, and Josh will do David. And these guys kind of run concurrently with each other, so there's a timeline here that we follow. So I'm just going to backtrack just a little bit to give us a little bit of context. 
Um, Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. We, we just finished this series with Tim. He was placed in charge of Potiphar's house because of God's favor on his life and his just excellent attitude that he walked in. He rose to a top leadership position. Years later, he had some dreams. Um, he saw in these dreams a terrible famine that was going to come and hit the land. Uh, and uh, this famine would also affect his family, not just the people in Egypt, but it would affect his family also. And as a result of sharing this dream, um, he basically saved Egypt. I mean, he literally saved the land from everybody dying. And Jacob and his sons would have died from starvation. Yet Jacob had his sons go and try to find, you know, provision. And in search for food, they just so happened to run into their long lost brother who was the ruler over the land at that time. And after a family reunion, Joseph invited his family to relocate and live there. And uh, he was around 39 years old when this took place. And then um, they lived there for a long time and they multiplied literally a lot like rabbits lots of Egypt, lots of uh, Israeli people there so time went by Joseph lived a long life as a matter of fact he lived to 110 years old and he died and not only did Joseph die but the king who put Joseph in charge he also died okay so so now the timeline is going to move forward and things are going to begin to change somewhat so a new king came, and he did not, you know, he arose to power, but he didn't know Joseph. He didn't know what Joseph had done. And then that king died, and another king ruled, and then another king, and another king. And this happened several times over a period of many, many years until it got to the point that everything that Joseph had done to save that country from that famine was completely and totally forgotten in history. And over these many years, the Hebrews had multiplied to a great number of people, and they became despised by the Egyptians. So now if you want to look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, we're going to read 8 through 14. It says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they're gonna become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them and oppressed them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread. It reminds me of some gerbils that I had when I was a kid growing up. Did y'all ever have those? Man, those things just, I started with two and then in like in a month's time I had like 18 and I was like, what's going on here? And so this was exactly what was happening. And it says, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, it's hard to imagine how different their lives had become from being free people to now being people who are slaves under the rule of the Egyptians. But 
God had made them a promise. Now, this promise delayed. Have y'all ever had a promise delayed? Can I have an amen? Hmm. This is going to be the focus of what we're talking about here as we're managing our life. So the Israelites in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, they groaned in their slavery and they cried out for help and their cry went up to God. And had it not been for God's promise, they would have remained slaves. They would have been ground to dust in Egypt. They would have all just multiple generations would have been slaves. But God made a promise many, many years earlier, okay? Now remember that. God made a promise many, many years earlier. Now, if you go back to Genesis 15, this is what it says. Genesis 15, verse 13, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Is that not what's happening? What did God say? What did God promise? And after all hope, I mean, look at this, verse 14, but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So after 400 years of slavery, after all hope was lost, God was about to raise up a deliverer that he was going to use to set his people free, a man that God handpicked himself, as a matter of fact. Now, he didn't know it. See, that's the thing. When you're living in it, in the arena, you can't see what God's doing. But we have the advantage of looking at Scripture in the Old Testament and reading stories about Moses and David and Joseph. And we can see how God was working in their life all along, even though there were many times it seemed like God didn't even know their name. God didn't even know, God, do you even know what I'm going through? Do you even see what's happening in my life at all? God, are you, do, you even, do you even care? And the fact of the matter is, God does. So because of the fear of the Egyptians, you know, that, that they had for the Hebrew people that would overrun them, they enslaved them, the Bible says. They treated them very cruelly. But that didn't stop the Hebrew people from increasing in number. They just kept increasing in number, just like my gerbils did. And when Pharaoh saw that the harsh conditions of the slavery didn't achieve his goal, he turned up the persecution even more. And it says here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, look there with me. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shephra and Pua. Now, I probably just butchered that, but we'll just go with that, okay? Because I'm not a Hebrew specialist here. When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby as a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. And as soon as they see the sex of the baby, if it's a boy, smother it before it even cries. Just kill it. That's what he asked them to do. See, partial birth abortion was evil in the Old Testament, and it's evil today. As a matter of fact, Exodus 1.20 says, So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. 
See, God honored and blessed him for standing up for life, and he'll do the same for anyone who stands up for life today, and that's why our church supports life. We are pro-life. And we're pro-life because God's pro-life. And it's very interesting, even those Egyptian women, they knew that was wrong. See, in their conscience, they knew that was wrong. So now we're going to fast forward again, okay? Now Moses has been put in the basket, because I don't have time to go through all of the story, as a baby, you know, because they were being put to death, he was put in a basket to save his life, and he was pushed down the stream, and of course he arrived at Pharaoh's back porch, and, you know, he was taken in, and he was raised in the palace, and we're going to fast forward now, he's 40 years old. He's 40 years old. And if you want to go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, this is also in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, as they retell this story. But we're going to pick up on Moses' life. He's almost 40, and it says, It entered his mind to visit his brethren and the sons of Israel. Now, I seriously doubt this is the first time that Moses ever contemplated or thought about his people. Because clearly he knew he was not Egyptian. He didn't look Egyptian. So he knew he wasn't. That, that, that wasn't a mystery. And I know this wasn't the first time that he thought about them because, I mean, you, you couldn't miss them. They're everywhere, right? They're all around you every day, all the time, because they're slaves. I mean, they're all over the palace. They're, they're building, they're, they're carrying, they're chopping, they're carving. They're digging, they're doing landscaping. I mean, they're, they're all over the place all the time, and, and, and they're working. And somewhere along the line, Scripture doesn't really say when, but a plan began to form in Moses' mind, okay? A plan. Because, you know, when he's 40, he sees this mistreatment taking place. You know, as he goes out, he sees this mistreatment taking place, and he's been watching this. He's been observing this mistreatment going on for how long? Years. He's been watching this happen. The oppression happening. And there's just something bubbling inside him. You ever have something just, you know, bubbling in your spirit, right? Something going on inside of you. You, you know change is coming. You sense a new direction is about to take place. You're not really sure what it is. You don't really know exactly how it's going to come about, but just the winds of change are blowing. You recognize them in your spirit. And so we see Moses here. This form begins to plan. And, and, and I want to talk a minute about managing God's will and plan for your future. How do you handle that? Because it's very easy to mishandle that. And we're going to look at Moses tonight. We're going to see, hey, there were some things that Moses did right, but there's some mishandling done by Moses with God's promise, with God's plan, with God's calling on his life. And here's the problem. See, when you know God's will, when you kind of have an idea of God's plan and God's direction, when you have this sense of calling, things don't happen fast enough for you. You ever been there? You know, you're impatient, right? You're anxious. You're ready for it to happen, whatever that is that you're thinking you want to happen. And so because you get anxious, you, you start thinking of ways to jumpstart the process, 
In other words, God, let me help you out a little bit, right? You need a little help with this. Obviously, that's why you picked me. And so I'm going to help you make this happen. Now, you never read anywhere in Scripture, not anywhere, where God instructed Moses to kill an Egyptian. You, you never hear God telling him to do that. So clearly, this was his idea of how to implement this sense of purpose and calling that God had placed inside of him, but, but he's, he's implementing it in his own thoughts. And so I, I really believe that Moses knew it was God's will for him to be a deliverer of Israel because he watched it every day. This was bothering him. He saw this persecution that was taking place. I believe that this was inside of him for sure, no doubt about it. But the problem is he got anxious, he got antsy, and he got impatient. And when we get antsy and we get impatient, we take a step ahead of God. Right? I had a guy was listening to preaching several years ago, and he, he, said, he said, I would rather be behind God and get caught in his wake than I would get in front of God and get stepped on. Right? But it seems like church, oftentimes, what we're doing is, God, come on. For crying out loud, where's the husband? Where's the wife, the job, the opportunity, the dream? Come on, you're, you're, just, you're taking forever to make this happen. Now, I know our church doesn't do that. I'm talking about other churches, not, not you guys, okay? We're, just, we're all good. But in this state of mind, see, he stepped out prematurely and got ahead of God, and it cost him. I mean, it, it, it resulted in disaster. A 40-year setback, literally, a 40-year setback. See, desiring to carry out the will of God, eager to do great things for God, and I believe all of us in here are, he forced a situation that ultimately led to a personal disaster. And that's why I want to talk to us tonight about managing God's plan and purpose for our life. See, Moses saw this man being beaten, and it was personal. I mean, it, it touched him deep, right? Down in his, if you're in Arkansas, it's, it's a gizzard. It's like down, way deep down in there, in your gizzard, right? It bothered him. It was, it was emotional. It was personal. He felt it. And what happened was, and what often happens to us is our emotions get intertwined with God's will. And that can become a very dangerous situation. See, at this heightened emotional state, what Moses did is he gripped the will of his life, he flipped it over at high speed like a car hitting black ice, careening off the edge of a cliff, and that's exactly what happened to Moses when he overcompensated and just jerked the will. And there's no going back. Now listen, I don't want to be overly critical 
of, of Moses. I, I think, you know, like Thomas, he's doubting Thomas. You know, we don't talk about all the great things that Thomas did. Moses, we, we tend to point out the failures of people in the Bible, but they did a lot of things right too. But, and I don't want to be over critical of, Mo, of Moses here because I really believe that Moses was very sincere in his heart about what he was doing. I don't think he was grandstanding. I don't think he was trying to get attention from everybody, say, hey, look at me, I'm the deliverer. Hey, I'm the guy that, you know, saved you yesterday. I don't think that was what he was trying to do. I, I really believe Moses was absolutely sincere in trying to fulfill what God had called him to do. Because did that cruel taskmaster need to be punished? Yes. I mean, I, I totally agree that he needed to be punished. Was it wrong for him to bre beat that Hebrew like he did? Certainly. I mean, no doubt about it. No, nobody questions that. But when Moses stepped in and he began his own Operation Moses Deliverance, right? And that's kind of what he did. Moses was energized by his flesh, not by the Spirit. And see, the Scripture says that we are to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We're to be led by the Spirit, not led by our flesh. And this is hard. See, in managing God's will and God's plan for your future. You can want the right thing at the wrong time. Y'all got quiet. I'm gonna say that again. You can want the right thing at the wrong time. You can pursue the right thing the wrong way. And that's exactly what Moses did. And you can't really fault him for it. And here's what makes it even more difficult. You know, when you're trying to do what God, what you sense God is telling you to do, and you're trying to be obedient, and it just falls apart, and you were really sincere about it, I mean, you didn't have like ulterior motives or anything, you were just really sincere, and it all fell apart, that's hard. I'm just telling you guys, I've been there, that's, that's about as painful as it gets. It, it really, really is. When you're sincere and wrong, it's a lot harder than, you know, intentionally knowing what you're doing is not right and you're wrong. That's one thing. But when you're just really sincerely think you're doing the right thing and you end up doing the wrong thing, that's really hard to take. And, and I've had people, you know, come to me and say, but Paul, I, I, I really meant well. And I, Say to them, I know you were sincere and wrong. And you can be both. It's called sincerely wrong. <laughs> and I've been there. How many of y'all have been there? We've probably all been there at some point in time. Being wrong is one thing. Being sincerely wrong, that's difficult to swallow. And that's exactly what happened here. And the Scripture says, the Scripture says, there is a way that seems right. I don't think I would be taking Scripture out of context too much to say there is a way that it feels right. But in the end, it leads to destruction. So in managing God's will and plan for you, if you aren't daily humbling yourself before Him, seeking His face, discerning His timing, operating under the Spirit's control, 
what you may end up doing is you may end up pushing and shoving and forcing yourself prematurely into a place that God wants you in a time that he doesn't want you. Can I have an amen? You know, and I always use the example of, you know, my boys, when they were nine, they could drive. But that didn't mean they were ready to get out on the interstate. Esther, remember what they said? Remember what Mordecai said? He said, who knows, but you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. God's son, it says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. The scripture says there is a time and there is a season for everything. Our pastor just preached a great message this past Sunday about time, about timing. So good. See, timing is very important to God's will and God's promises being accomplished. Just like we read, God promised that he was going to deliver them, but it was going to be in his timing, and it was going to be his way. And the fact is, (laughs) we don't like to admit this, but it never happens fast enough for us, does it? I mean, we get a promise from God. We have this vision. We have a dream, and we all have them. I mean, you're, if you're young in here tonight, you have dreams of a home and, and kids and a career and life or college, and, and you know, and you're, you're in the mid part of your life. You know, you're, you're enjoying raising your kids and your dreams and your visions that you have for them and their future and getting married, and you get older, and it's grandkids, and it's all of these things. We all have these these dreams, and they never happen fast enough for us. As a matter of fact, look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 12. So here is um, Moses. He's, he's got this thing percolating in his heart, so he goes out. And, you know, he's out among his brethren, and he sees this guy beating him. And it says, so he looked this way, and he looked that way, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck the Egyptian, and he, and he buried him in the sand. Okay? <clears throat> Moses looked this way. He looked that way. Isn't it interesting? He didn't look that way. We saw him looking this way, and we saw him looking this way, but we didn't see him looking... See, he looked both directions horizontally, but the vertical was completely left out of it. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, church, when God speaks to us and God has these plans and these dreams, we got to be really, really careful because what, what we tend to do is we say, okay, okay, God, hand off the vision, hand off the dream. I got it. I'm going to run with it. And we're looking this way and we're looking this way, and, but we forget about this way. And you can't forget about this way because this is where it came from. The past came from heaven. You're you're running the ball for God, right? See, Moses was moved by a sense of need instead of sensing God's timing. Now, I'm going to say that again because that's an important key. Moses was moved by a sense of need instead of a sense of God's timing. 
God, I need this. This needs to happen. I'm not getting any younger. I'm getting a lot older. God, if this is going to happen, it's going to have to happen. You know, I think about Jesus. You know Jesus was never moved by need? Never. If Jesus was moved by need, he never would have left the first village that he went into. Because he would have spent his whole life there healing, feeding, and taking care of all the needs of all the people. No, Jesus wasn't led and motivated out of need. Jesus was led and motivated out of the will of God, the purpose and the plan of God. And he was led by the Spirit. Remember the Spirit led, led him into the wilderness? See, Jesus followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was moved by God's timing. But what Moses did is he allowed his emotions to influence his response instead of the Holy Spirit directing his actions. I'm going to say that again. That was good. I should have got an amen. Moses allowed his emotions to influence his response instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to direct his actions. Now, you have to thank you very much. I appreciate that one amen that I got from this whole audience. Y'all are a tough crowd, let me tell you. A new job, a new relationship, a move, a purchase, a ministry opportunity, a business investment, giving someone a word from the Lord, even. Timing. Timing is critical. Timing. We look this way and we assess. We look that way and we assess. But do we look up? So you got the horizontal, but do you have the vertical? Do you have the vertical? And this is what God is teaching Moses. See, because there's, there's three phases of Moses' life. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, or 40 years preparing for the wilderness, and then, and then 40 years in the wilderness. There were three phases, and in each phase, God was teaching him things, showing him things. See, neglecting to ask God's counsel, neglecting to seek God's timing, we step in and we, we begin to handle things. And your, your flesh will almost always have you making decisions based on feeling and immediate need. I want, that's what your flesh will always do. Your flesh will pressure you. Well, what are you going to do? You've got to make a decision. You've got to do something. You've got to make a move. Something's got to happen. And the, the, and, and the enemy will put that pressure upon you. See, and, and, and Moses fell for it, and he tried to, to bury the consequences of his hasty decision in the sand. But he couldn't hide it. I mean, his toes were just like when you go to the beach, right? They just always wiggle their toes through. And he, he, couldn't hide, he couldn't bury it completely. It's there. And we have to learn to wait on God's timing so we don't end up like Moses with the consequences of a hasty decision laying right here at our feet. And that's what happened. Wow, I can't. this wasn't supposed to happen. And God says, no, it, it really wasn't supposed to ha happen. But that was your plan, not my plan, Moses. See, we all want good things to happen in our lives, but too often we want it now, not later. And when it doesn't happen that way, we're tempted. When, God? When? And I get it. I mean, I've been there. I've, I've asked that same question. But, but most of us need to grow in the area of trusting God instead of focusing on the when question. 
Don't focus on the win question, especially if you're a young adult. It's so easy. It's so easy to get so caught up on the win question. And if you're missing joy and you're missing peace, then you're not trusting God. If that's absent from your life right now, and you're focused on the win question, then you're not trusting God. That's a clear indicator for you. If your mind feels worn out all the time, you're not trusting God. See, because when you come into that place of confidence and you're trusting the Lord, you come into this place of rest, you come into this place of peace. Hebrews talks about it. It says, there is a place of rest for my people. And he's not talking about necessarily sleeping. He's talking about this place of contentment in your spirit where you arrive at this place of trust that produces that confidence and that rest. I think the tendency to want to know about everything that's going on can be very detrimental to your Christian walk. And we are. We, we are just, we want the down low, right? That's why we're always looking at social media, finding out what's the down low, what's going on, what's happening, what's taking place. Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And I, and I really spent a large part of my early Christian life being impatient. That's my wife. <laughs> she, she can tell you. Frustrated, disappointed that, you know, because there were things I didn't know that I wanted to know. I mean, I just didn't know. And God had to teach me to leave things alone and quit feeling <laughs> that I needed to know everything. And I want to encourage you tonight. You know, I was the poster child for what not to do. Learn from me. Don't do that. Don't, don't fall into that trap, especially if you're a young adult. I, I finally learned to trust the one who knows all things, and I learned to accept that some questions just aren't ever going to be answered. They're not. And you can be mad about it if you want to be, but it isn't going to change anything. It isn't going to make it any, any different. And you know what? You know what I learned? Some things I don't need to know. I just don't need to know. As a matter of fact, I've learned I don't even want to know. See, we prove that we trust God when we refuse to worry. I'm going to say that again because he's perfecting us all, right? We prove that we trust God when we refuse to worry. Now, we spend a lot of time in our lives waiting because change is a process, right? And the older that you get, the more you realize there's a lot of waiting to be done in life. You know, you, you, you live under this delusion when you're younger that, you know, you are going to be the exception to the rule. And your life is going to hit the fast track. And you can hit the fast track because there is a way that seems right. But once again, the scripture says, where does it lead you, though? See, that's the question. Where is the fast track going to take you? Many people, they won't change, but they don't want to go through the waiting process. But the truth is, waiting is a given. It's a given. You're going to have to wait for it. The question is, here's the question. Are you going to wait the right way, or are you going to wait the wrong way? Because there is a right way, and there is a wrong way to wait. I've done it both. See, it takes practice. But if we wait the wrong way, you're going to be miserable. If you decide to wait God's way, you're going to be patient. You're going to have joy. It's, going, it's all going to be good. 
because you're in this place of trust and you ultimately know that God's, he's always a step ahead of you. And like I said, it takes practice, but as we let God help us in each situation, we develop patience, which is one of the most important Christian virtues. It's the fruit of the Spirit, patience. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's very, very important. But the only way that the fruit of the Spirit is developed is under trial. That's the only way that fruit grows. The fertilizer for patience is trial. Hmm. So you can't run from difficult situations. Winning over doubt and unbelief while waiting is God's plan to perfect and mature you. That's what God wants to accomplish. As a matter of fact, it says in James 1.4, but let endurance and steadfastness and patience have its full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking nothing. Y'all ever gone to Disneyland? Six Flags, some amusement park, the best rides, they have the longest lines. And if you're going to ride the ride, guess what? You're going to wait. Now, here's the secret. You can have fun while you wait. You can have a good attitude while you wait. Or you can be miserable the whole time you wait. It's your decision. But guess what? You will wait. See, there are times when we might give up if we knew how long it was going to take. If I, thinking back on some of my dreams... If I knew how long it was going to take, I probably would have gave up a long time ago. I'm glad God didn't tell me. I'm glad he didn't reveal it to me. But see, when we accept God's timing, when we learn to live in hope, when we learn to enjoy our lives while God is working out our problems, that's when we start moving into maturity. And that's a real key for all of us here as we're learning to manage our lives, manage God's dreams, God's plans. Right where you're at right now, there are things going on in your life, and God is working in a process. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how are you doing? What grade would you give yourself? An A? A B? Well, Paul, I'm, I'm about 50-50. Well, I mean, a 50 was always an F when I went to school. I don't know if that changed or not, but when I went, F wasn't good. That was a flag, right? You didn't want one of those. See, we know that God's plan for our lives is good. And when we entrust ourselves to him, we can experience peace and happiness. And if you can make it your goal living in peace and trust and happiness, as much as you make it your goal to achieve the end result of whatever it is that you're believing God for, or dreaming for, or praying for, then that's when you finally begin to arrive at this place of maturity. And I'm determined. I'm going to mature. I'm not going to keep just, you know, going around the same mountain and not learning. I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn. To glory. Amen? As I close, let me end with this. God's training period simply requires us to do what he tells us to do when he tells us to do it. Because mm. <laughs> he's God. He's the big guy. And our job is to do it without questioning it or trying to figure out everything. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and makes them sure. Proverbs 20.24 says, Man's steps are ordered by the Lord, 
How then can a man understand his way? See, when God directs our paths, he sometimes leads us into places and ways that don't really make a lot of sense to us. So we're not always going to understand God's ways. About 75% of my life consists of not understanding God's ways. You know what? That's why he gave us the gift of faith. Proverbs 3 shows us that there's a better way. See, if we try to reason out everything, we're going to experience struggle. If you're trying to figure everything out, you're going to experience confusion. But there's a better way. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says that it. it says, lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind, and do not lean or rely upon your own understanding. It says, in all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him, and he will direct and make plain your paths. And it sounds so simple, yet too many people make the mistake of trying to figure out everything by themselves. And I just want to encourage our church, don't be that person. Most of us have spent our lives trying to take care of ourselves, but when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we had to learn to let him take care of us. And he wants to take care of us. He's a good father. He's a faithful friend. He's a confident God. So as I close, when we do this, when we put our lives into his care, we can say like David did in Psalms 31, I trusted in, relied on, and was confident in you, O Lord. And I said, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. Let's give God a round of applause. <laughs> Father, we thank you tonight that you are faithful. Lord, help us to manage our emotions and our life as we are doing this walk with you on this earth, Lord. God, we want to fulfill your plans, but Lord, help us not to get ahead of you. Help us not to get behind you, Lord. Help us to walk in sync with your spirit, led by you, fulfilling your call for our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.